Hi, my name is Rachel Zimmerman. I've been attending Faith for a little bit over a year. Um, I was a part of the high school youth group, and I went with them to Ghana when we went last summer. Um, this morning, I will be reading from 1 Kings 11, 1 through 8. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, or was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not wholly follow the Lord, as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives, who made offerings and sacrifices to their gods. This is God's word. Thanks, Rachel. Good morning. 1993, there's a 55-year-old man here at Faith who, for the first time, entered into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. For the first time in his life, uh, John Olson, many of you knew him, John Olson understood grace. He understood for the first time that salvation, forgiveness, a relationship with God, it's not the type of thing you can earn, not the type of thing you deserve. It is a gift that is freely given to anybody who will receive it by faith. And so John became a believer, and he became a disciple. And if you're a disciple, by definition, you're a learner. So what did John do? He started learning. He started reading the Bible, specifically the Old Testament. And periodically, John would call me up and, and uh, make an appointment say, Stephen, I need to come talk to you about something. And he'd come in and we'd talk about a passage that he had read. And I'll never forget the day he came in, opened up his Bible. I don't remember the passage, but he said, Pastor Steve, what the heck is this passage talking about? It was a little more colorful than that. But what the heck is this passage talking about? And that's one of the things I loved about John is that he was curious about what you find in Scripture. When he found things that were troubling, things that were confusing, things that were just weird, he asked questions about it. What is this about? Why is this here? And you may have asked those questions when Rachel read 1 Kings 11. Why is the Bible so transparent about Solomon's failure? It's not very good PR, right? Why does he talk about how the, the wisest man in the world went to his deathbed a fool? Why is it so transparent about his failure? Well, one reason is, is given in 1 Corinthians 10 in the New Testament. And there it talks about, Paul is talking about another failure in the Old Testament, the children of Israel in the wilderness. And he said, these things are written for our instruction 
as a warning to us so that we would not follow their example. 1 Kings is 11 to us, is, is, is a, a warning to us about not following the, the foolishness of Solomon. We've been in a sermon series entitled Becoming Wise. And as people who want to become wise, we don't want to find that one day we have followed his example and we have become foolish. And so 1 Kings 11 really can help us stay wise for a lifetime. You know, we're toward the end of the sermon series. In the past few weeks, we've seen examples to imitate, uh, the example of Daniel, the example of Joseph. Today, we're going to look at the example of Solomon, an example to avoid. In a couple weeks, Brian will uh, land this series. He'll talk about how Jesus embodied wisdom and how the New Testament embodies wisdom. But today we're going to notice three truths that are illustrated in the life of Solomon in 1 Kings. And these, these truths will help us if we let them. They will help us stay wise for a lifetime. The first is this, is that wisdom can be squandered <clears throat> and lost. Wisdom is not necessarily permanent. First Kings makes clear that Solomon was given unsurpassed wisdom. He didn't just appear to be wise. He wasn't faking it. He wasn't posing. Uh, he was legitimately wise. And I want us to survey the heights of his wisdom so that we can see just how far he fell as a warning to us. First Kings 3 records that after Solomon became king, God spoke to him in a dream. And he kind of gave this blank check. Solomon, ask what you will. And Solomon first expressed how inadequate he felt to be king of Israel. He said, I feel like I'm a, a little child. <clears throat> but here in, in verse 9 is the core of his request. He said, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? And I don't know if you noticed, but he uses wisdom words, wisdom words that are found in Proverbs chapter 1. He said, give me understanding so that I can govern well. He said, give me discernment so that I know the difference between good and evil. It's one of the core things that a person needs in any as aspect of leadership, understanding the difference between what's good and evil. And the Lord was very pleased with this request. Look at verse, verse 11. <clears throat> And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And so Solomon, God says to Solomon, yes, I'm giving you what you request. I'm giving you wisdom. And as a bonus, I'm going to throw in riches and honor on the side. And notice verse 14. Notice the qualification. He says, and if you walk if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. The presupposition there 
is that wisdom can be squandered and lost if Solomon walked in the ways of God, the ways of wisdom. Then he would experience God's blessing. If he abandoned the ways of God and the ways of wisdom, he would experience God's judgment and God's discipline. Keep that in mind. We'll return to that later. Another statement about Solomon's wisdom, it's found in chapter 4, 29 and 30. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. And so Solomon's wisdom was unsurpassed. If you keep reading chapter 4, you'll see that people from all these neighboring countries that came to, to Solomon to hear his wisdom and to see his wisdom. Read in chapter 10 sometime, the queen of Sheba came. She had heard of David's great wisdom and his prosperity. But after she talked with him and saw the way he managed his kingdom, it was like wisdom was just embedded in everything that Solomon did. She went away amazed and she said, the wisdom and the prosperity of Solomon, they're even greater than what I had been told. And so Solomon had this, this international fame. He had influence because, and, and influence because of his wisdom. Look at the detail given in 432. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. And of course, many of those proverbs are recorded in the book of Proverbs and in Ecclesiastes. Many of those songs are recorded in the songs of Solomon. And so inspired by the Holy Spirit, Solomon had wisdom that was appreciated internationally in his day, and it continues to edify us and instruct us 3,000 years later. I mean, that, that can be said of very, very few people. And so in summary, Solomon may have been the wisest person, except for Jesus himself, who ever lived. And yet he died a fool. And so the warning for us from the life of Solomon is that our wisdom can be squandered and lost. Just because you are wise today, just because you have a degree of wisdom today, it does not guarantee that you will be wise for a lifetime. I can think of people I went to college with and uh, they were passionate about Jesus. They walked, they studied the word. They had these, these, this wisdom. They did, they weren't faking it. And yet today, many of them are either lukewarm or they've abandoned their faith altogether. It is not a given. If you have wisdom now that you will be wise 10 years from now, 20 years from now. Solomon's example warns us against pursuing and gaining wisdom for a season and then becoming careless or complacent. You know, one of the greatest temptations for people who have a degree of, of wisdom, one of the greatest temptations is pride. Uh, 300 years ago, William Law made the comment. He, he wrote that pride grows on our virtues, not our vices. Pride grows on our virtues. And so you have this wisdom. People come to you. They ask you question, questions. They want your counsel. Uh, you know things. You know scripture. You understand how things ought to be. Uh, you, you have this discernment. And if we're not careful, you can notice that. 
You can start feeling pretty good about yourself. Stop being hungry for God. Pride can grow on those virtues. When we surveyed the book of Proverbs, we saw that nobody ever arrives when it comes to wisdom. That's a box nobody can ever check off. Check. Got it. Let's move on to something else. Proverbs itself warned us against that. In Proverbs 1.5, it said this, for example, let the wise hear and increase in, in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. It says, let the wise hear. In other words, if you're wise, stay humble and teachable and continue to hear what the book of Proverbs is saying. And so as was the case with Solomon, it is the case for every single person here. Doesn't matter if you're 12 years old or 92, anywhere in between. Our wisdom, our current wisdom, our giftedness, our influence, our spiritual resume will not sustain us for a lifetime. We can never stop, stop pursuing wisdom. We have to stay hungry until our dying breath. Second, Solomon's life warns us, pay attention to the red flags of foolishness. You know what a red flag is, right? Like if you go to the beach and you see a red flag, that means there's dangerous water conditions, right? Ignoring a red flag is very foolish. And so there are also red flags spiritually. There are things in our lives that pop up and they should be saying, danger, danger, foolishness, change course. Well, uh, Solomon didn't notice the red flags in his life or he didn't care. And so we need to be on the lookout for red flags. First and foremost, in our own lives, we want to take the log out of our own, own eyes, but also in the lives of people in our community, people that we're in spiritual relationships with because God wants us to help take the speck out of other people's eyes. And so we need to be mindful if wisdom can be squandered and lost, be on the lookout. Red flags in Solomon's life throughout 1 Kings 3 through 10. The first two are found in 1 Kings 3, 1. And there we read that Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. So it was very politically expedient to become the son-in-law of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. You know, if his daughter lived, if his daughter was your wife, he was going to protect you. He was going to look out for your best interest. And so it was politically expedient, but throughout the Old Testament, Israel is warned, trust in God, don't trust in Egypt. Trust in God, don't, don't trust in po political and military might. As well, taking a non-Jewish wife, it violated the spirit of the Mosaic law. Uh, we're, told, we're, we're told they were forbid from, from intermarrying with the Canaanites who lived in the promised land. And the concern in Deuteronomy 7 is that they would turn your sons from following the Lord to serve other gods. And we're told explicitly in chapter 11, as was read, explicitly that that's what happened to Solomon with his other wives. Another red flag in 1 Kings 10, 26 and 27, we read that Solomon acquired 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen. As well, he made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone. 
You say, what's wrong with that? Maybe he was an entrepreneur. Maybe he was just good. Maybe he just, this stuff found him. Well, in Deuteronomy 17, uh, 16 and 17, it prohibited this very thing. It says, only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And so God had promised him, Solomon, I'm going to give you riches. But for Solomon, that wasn't enough. He wanted more and more and more. This mirrors the experience described in Ecclesiastes 2.10. And there we read, Solomon's words, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. If his eyes saw it, he said to his eyes, it's yours. He didn't deny himself anything. He lived this incredibly self-indulgent life. Red flag. One last thing I'll mention, you keep reading in 1 Kings, you find in chapter 12, that Solomon laid a disproportionately heavy burden on the 10 northern tribes. And so they had to work harder. Uh, they paid a much higher price being his vassals, being his, his servants than the tribes that lived in and around Jerusalem. And this unjust treatment sowed the seeds of, seeds of discontent that would eventually um, divide the kingdom after Solomon's death. And so again, it was his foolishness that led to all this. And so his life illustrates that we need to pay attention to our red flags of foolishness. And we need to be very, very clear about this. The issue is not if there will be pockets of foolishness in our lives in the future. There will be, right? There will be. The issue is whether or not we are prepared when those things surface in our lives, ready to respond ready to repent, ready to do different. And it seems to me we need to be prepared in at least a couple of different ways. We need to be prepared spiritually first. We need to be humble enough to where our hearts are positioned that if something surfaces and it's really foolish, then we'll say, ah, oh, you're right. I need to turn from that. I need to seek wisdom. I need to seek wisdom again. I need God to teach me to, to think and speak and act differently. And so I just ask you, when, when was the last time you realized, I need to repent, I actually need to turn from some way I've been living? When was the last time you apologized to somebody? When was the last time you apologized to God? If, if this never happens, you might say, maybe I'm not prepared spiritually when these things surface in my life. So we need to be prepared spiritually. We also need to be prepared relationally. Why? Because of what Logan talked about in, from Psalm 19. We all have blind spots, which by definition means we don't see them. Other people see them, trust me. Uh, when it comes to my blind spots, I, I ask somebody, I'll, I'll spare you the details. I said, is this true about you? They said, you think? You know, I mean, he spotted it a mile away, you know. And that's the case. Is there anybody else in your life that you've given permission, you said, hey, if you see anything con that concerns you in my life, you have the green light. I want to know about it. 
And so they don't have to sit there guessing. Are they going to be receptive to this? Are they going to hear what I'm saying? Are they going to accuse me of being judgmental and meddling and all these things? And so you don't want to give just anybody that permission. It needs to be a friend that you trust, somebody that's compassionate. And you're not saying whatever you say is right. You're saying, no, I'm willing to have the conversation with you. And so they may be wrong, but at least they need to be able to bring it up and talk with you about it. Is there anybody else in your life who can say to you, you know what I've noticed? You talk too much. You talk about yourself too much. Anybody else that can say to you, you know, you keep bringing up this thing that happened over and over again. Is it possible you're holding a grudge? You're taking into account a wrong suffered? Is there anybody else in your life that can say, you know, this relationship that I see you're in, that concerns me, where that might lead. And so again, if there's nobody else in your life with that freedom that you trust, then you're you're not in a place where you're able to address these red flags when they appear. Well, third, Solomon's Life illustrates that wisdom and foolishness are a matter of the heart. It's not primarily a matter of the intellect. It's really never the case. Well, oh, there was information I didn't have. That's why I'm foolish. It's a matter of the heart. And the heart is the command and control center of somebody's life. We live from the heart. First Kings 11 records where Solomon ended up spiritually. Uh, Look again at verse 1. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh. And in doing this, he ignored a very specific command not to intermarry with the surrounding peoples. It's in Exodus 34. These women, verse 2, these women were from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely... Not possibly, not maybe, but surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. And Solomon clung to these in love. That word to cling, it was normally used of clinging to God. Solomon clung to these women in love. And understand the issue is not their ethnicity. That's not why it was forbidden. The issue is that they would surely turn his heart after their gods. And that's the opposite of what God desired for his people, desires for his people. He wanted to be the only God. He wanted to be the exclusive God that Solomon worshipped. And he wanted God to worship him with all his heart, not just one little sliver. And so using the terminology of wisdom, Solomon no longer feared the Lord because he no longer related to God as he actually is, namely that God is one who deserves exclusive allegiance. He's not meant to be one God among among many that you might just give a sliver of your heart. He is worthy of all of our our allegiance. And so when Solomon loved many foreign women, he was running headlong into the temptation of worshiping their gods. It's not enough to try to avoid sin. We need to avoid temptation. Lead us not into temptation. 
But Solomon thought maybe, maybe he could cling to them in love without serving their gods. Well, God knew better. He couldn't. And what's tragically fascinating, I say tragically fascinating here, is that in the book of Proverbs, what did, what did Solomon repeatedly, repeatedly warn his son about? He said, you need to be careful. There's a forbidden woman. She's the one who will seduce you. She doesn't fear the Lord. And if you, if you leave the path of wisdom and go to the path to her house, you need to know it doesn't lead to life. It leads to death. Moms and dads, we tell our kids things. We warn them with a good heart. We need to be careful we don't take the same path we're urging them not to take. So Solomon took that path. Verse 3, he had 700 wives who were princesses. So there were, those would have been political alliances with all the people. And 300 concubines, they were mainly for pleasure. <clears throat> and his wives turned away his heart. Solomon became so self-indulgent that besides his, his, the, the daughter of Pharaoh, he had a thousand wives, and they turned his heart away from loving God. <clears throat> Verse 4 gets more specific. For when Solomon was old, it wasn't when he was 22. When Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as, with the heart, as was the heart of David his father. When Solomon Solomon got old, he gave up and he gave in. The Lord who had given him unsurpassed wisdom became one God among many gods that he worshiped. Here in verse four and in verse six, Solomon is contrasted with his father, David. It says that Solomon's heart was not wholly true to the Lord, as was the heart of David. How does that strike you? What's the difference between Solomon and David? David sinned in some spectacular ways, right? Adultery, murder. What's the difference between David and Solomon? One striking difference is that David knew how to repent. David's sin was surfaced. He fasted and he prayed. Read Psalm 32. Read Psalm 51. You'll see the type of repentance that David practiced when his sin surfaced. You don't get any sense that that happened with Solomon. You don't have, any, don't have any sense of repentance. He could have. God is more gracious than we can fathom. But David knew how to repent. And so there will be times when every single one of us needs to repent. For what looks like a small thing or some great thing, God is abounding in loving kindness. He loves to forgive. Well, verses 5 through 8 describe how Solomon went after other gods and goddesses. He imitated the abominations of all the nations around him. And their worship involved things like sexual rituals that even involved child sacrifices. To use Jesus' words in Luke 9, 25, Solomon gained the whole world, but he forfeited himself. And so his experience reminds us that our wisdom and foolishness are matters of the heart. If you become wise and you stay wise for a lifetime, it's because your heart 
remains wholly true to the Lord, like David's. If you become wise for a season, but you abandon wisdom and become foolish, it will be because your heart is not wholly turned to the Lord, wholly um, true to the Lord. And that's why the book of Proverbs mentions the human heart 74 times. The heart, again, is the command and control center of our lives. We live from our hearts. And so one of the most important instructions in Proverbs about the human heart for this topic today is Proverbs 4.23. And again, Solomon penned this. And here it is. It's just as true as it was in that day. But Solomon says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Keep can be translated guard or watch over your heart. We should be vigilant and watching over our heart because everything we think and say and do flows from the heart. If our hearts are poisoned, then it will affect every area of our lives. And when you get the chance, read the surrounding verses in in Proverbs 4, verse 20 through 27. That that passage has been called the anatomy of discipleship because he uses the the, uh, anatomy, uh, eyes, ears, uh, mouth, feet, to talk about how all what we do with with these parts of our body, they affect whether we have wisdom or foolishness in our heart. What we do with our eyes, where we look, what we listen to, the things we say, they come from the heart and they actually affect our lives as well. Where we allow our feet to go, they affect whether or not our hearts are full of wisdom or foolishness. And so read those, those verses when you get the chance. And so this is a serious warning, right? It is. But I love that we're talking about this passage on the day that we're celebrating the Lord's table. I love that because this brings us back to our confidence. If you're like me, you might be sitting there thinking, wow, I don't know if I've got what it takes. I don't know if I can stay wise for a lifetime. You know, I'm doing pretty good now or I have these spurts, but I don't know if I've got what it takes. If Solomon couldn't stay wise for a lifetime, what chance do I have? Well, the Lord's table reminds us that our confidence being wise for a lifetime, it's not our resolve. It is not our strength. It is God's commitment to us in the new covenant. We actually have advantages Solomon didn't. Living after the death and resurrection of Christ, we're able to enter into a covenant with God that promises us things that were not promised to Solomon. In Jeremiah 32, God made a series of statements about the new covenant And the last line in this is just, uh, yeah, it's jaw-dropping. Verse 38, Jeremiah 32, And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. So there's great blessing in fearing the Lord. But he continues, And I will make with them an everlasting covenant, that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. So if you come to the place where you, you recognize your sinfulness, 
and you recognize that there is not a thing you can do to address it. And you become convinced that Jesus' death on the cross paid for your sin and that he can remove the shame and the guilt of your sin. And you trust that. You enter into a covenant, that you enter into this covenant with God himself that binds you to him for eternity. And God says, if you come to me through the new covenant, I will put the fear of you in me. You will walk in the fear of the Lord and you will never turn away from it. It's not that we're passive, but it's that God is so committed to us, he keeps pursuing us, he keeps bringing us back. We have a new heart. We have the spirit of God dwelling within us. And so that's our confidence. We're not trusting in our willpower or our resolve so that somehow we can, can last, walk in wisdom till our dying breath. No, our confidence is in God his commitment to us through the new covenant. Let the bread and the cup this morning remind you of his fierce commitment to you. If you didn't get uh, the elements on your way in, feel free to to slip out. Those are in the foyer. But uh, I'm gonna give you just a a few moments of reflection before we uh, eat the bread together and then drink the cup. Just a time of silence. Maybe something that's been said this morning has really gotten your attention. Maybe you didn't realize or maybe you haven't been sober-minded about the reality that wisdom can be squandered or lost. Or maybe there have been red flags in your life and you've just ignored them. You said, yeah, I'm not going to worry about that. Not as bad as other people. Or maybe you're not prepared spiritually or relationally. Maybe you realize you've been careless about your heart Whatever it is, bring that before God. Begin a conversation with him that you can continue later. Let's pray silently. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, drink this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, we place ourselves before you this week. We pray that the things we talked about might come back to mind. We pray, God, that you would equip us, prepare us to walk with you for a lifetime. God, we confess, readily confess that we are weak and fickle. 
And uh, so we thank you for your commitment to us. Pray that we would walk in the fear of the Lord. We would never give up. We would never compromise. And so God, keep us, keep us close. May we help each other with these things as well. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're able, let's stand together. Yeah. 